Well, good morning, everybody. I guess you're expecting me to say good day, everybody, so I might as well say good day. It's great to see you all here. We, we do, in fact, say good day in Australia. It is just an, an already everyday word, and we say good day, mate, to each other. We really do. It really does happen. Uh, one of the great joys of being here this weekend here at Ogletown is the, the same joy I've had in, in many other places. It's the joy Jesus talks about in Mark 10, where he says that if you give up everything, if you follow me, and if you give up, lands and wives and family and brothers and sisters give up everything to follow me you know what you get a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come you get brothers and fathers fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters uh, and that's my experience uh, and it has been for for many years that you travel all over the world and you find that there's a family everywhere brothers and sisters uh, that you didn't know existed but that are your brothers and sisters and it's been a wonderful joy to meet with uh, this great fellowship of brothers and sisters this weekend uh, and as Curtis has been saying, we've been talking a bit about the trellis and the vine this weekend um, with the eldership and with, uh, with the conference yesterday. And I want to talk to you about that today, about trellises, about vines, and about where you fit into that and why an understanding of how you fit into trellises and vines, this strange subject, is actually very important for how you live and breathe and work within this congregation. But I'll come back to trellises and vines in a little while. I, I want to start by talking about what it was like back in Australia in the 1980s when I had very young children. And uh, I know some of you have young children and dads. I assume that you do sometimes what I used to do, and that is late at night you find yourself walking around the lounge room trying to get this little critter off to sleep. And uh, you start watching TV, of course. You start watching late-night TV, and you watch all the oddball, strange kind of quirky shows there are on at late-night TV. And I remember very clearly my favourite oddball, quirky, really strange piece of late-night TV was a one-hour highlights package of American football. Now, that is one weird game for an Australian, I can tell you. I had no idea what was going on when I watched the American football highlights. I mean, what is this, what is this game where the guys are massive, right? They're huge, and yet they wear all this padding and all these helmets so that the poor little things don't get hurt. I mean, what is that about? And I couldn't figure out how many teams were actually playing. I thought I had figured out who was playing, and then one team would run off the field, and a whole other team of guys would run on the field, and then they'd run off the field. They'd be there for five seconds before they ran off, and the other guys run back on. How many teams were actually playing? And why is it called football when no one ever kicks the ball? I mean, when we play football in Australia, we usually kick the ball, but apparently only one little weedy white guy is allowed to kick the ball <laughs> every now and then. And uh, the funniest thing ever is to see the little weedy guy, uh, kicky guy, try to tackle somebody. That's hilarious. Um, so this was one very strange game. But for all its quirks, I grew to love American football, and I've followed it ever since. Uh, it's a great game. And one of the things I love most about it is how brilliantly it expresses that principle of unity and diversity towards a common goal. Uh, there might be about 400 people on an American football team, but they're all different, and they all have a different job. Uh, and their differences, all their different characteristics, marry together into one common cause. You've got the, those kind of central linemen who are kind of like fridges with eyes, um, and you've got these sort of long, rangy, tall kind of tight end guys, and you've got the gazelles running down the sideline, the, the wide receivers. They're all different, but they're all working together for one common cause, one goal, to get the ball down the field uh, and into what you call the end zone, so into the end zone. We call that the try line for some weird reasons, but the end zone is where you're trying to get the ball. So 
the analogy, I hope, is pretty clear. We as a congregation of God's people, we're all different, different sizes and shapes, not only physically but spiritually, different gifts, different characteristics, different contributions to make. And as we work together as God's people, what is the goal that we're trying to push the ball down the field to achieve? What's the cause that we as a diverse yet unified group of people are trying to get to? That's what I want to dig into this morning, and eventually it'll get to talking about trellises and vines. And of of course, as in all things, if we want the answer to that question, what is the cause or goal of our congregational life? We go to God, we go to the owner of the team, we go to the person who understands and has set up the game and gives us our cause. And so we go to scripture, and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to read a passage of scripture from Colossians chapter 1. Jacob's going to come up and read that passage for us. And I want you to listen very carefully as as Jacob reads. I'm sure you always do, but I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to ask you a question uh, after Jacob has read about something in this passage. Thanks, Jacob. Good day, church. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's him. That's cool. (laughs) Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Thanks so much, Jacob. Well, in that uh, passage, that wonderful passage that we'll be looking at mostly today, what is the cause or goal of the congregational life in Colossae that Paul wants the Colossian church to be pursuing. As they all work together, what's the thing they're trying to achieve? What's the end zone for their church life? Now, I want you to talk about that with one another. We, uh, we do this quite often in church in Australia. I don't know if you, you guys do, but I'm going to set you this little question, and I want you just to turn to the person or a couple of people just around you, where you are, just sitting there, and just discuss for 30 seconds or so what you think from, from the passage we've just read, read, what do you think is the goal or cause or aim of church life, of what we're trying to achieve here together? Got the assignment? 30 seconds. You don't have to, by the way. If you don't feel like doing this, it's optional. It's okay. But if you'd like to, turn to the person around you and just discuss briefly what do you think is the goal 
that Paul wants for the Colossians to achieve. Go. Okay, it's about 30 seconds. You probably only just got started and got the debate going as to what the passage says. What's the goal? I want to suggest to you that the goal in this passage is very clear and very powerful. Paul's goal for the Colossians, his aim for them, is that the decisive change that has taken place in their lives, the momentous change that has taken place in their lives, would grow and mature to fruition, to maturity that the decisive change that they'd experienced would continue and grow and bear fruit. And this decisive change he's talking about is represented in this passage in two really striking images or metaphors. And the first of them is in the second half of the passage in, in verses 13 and 14, where he speaks about the great transfer. He says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is an image of slavery to freedom. It's an image actually of immigration, of belonging in this kingdom which was dark and enslaved and being delivered and transferred out of it and coming to live in a whole new country to be part of a whole new kingdom and citizenship, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of the sun. Now you should understand this, you're a nation of immigrants like we are in Australia. Uh, America was built as Australia was built by people coming from somewhere else and starting a new life and building something completely new in this new place. And that's what happened to the Colossians. God has transferred them out of the dark guilty, sinful place they were into a new kingdom where they're forgiven and free and citizens of the kingdom of the Son. And Paul's aim for the Colossians is not only that this take place for them, but they then mature and live out the life of being a citizen of this new kingdom. And to describe that growth and maturity, he uses the other metaphor in the earlier part of the passage, and that's an agricultural one. It's a, it's a metaphor of a plant in verses 5 and 6. He tells them there about the gospel. He reminds them in verse 5 of the hope they have laid up in heaven. And he said, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And the image here is of a plant of a seed being planted and of a plant growing and coming to life. The image actually is, is like a vine spreading its tendrils all over the world, that this gospel message, as it spreads everywhere, is like a great flourishing vine that is bearing fruit. As the word or, or message of truth, as it's called here, the word of God's grace, as it's described, that has come to the Colossians, they've heard it, it's taken root in their lives and it's started to bear fruit. And Paul longs and prays in the next section of the passage that that fruit would continue to grow. He says, from the day that we heard, that we heard that the gospel had taken root there in Colossae, we've been praying, he says, we haven't stopped praying, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that's verse 9, and verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. What Paul wants for the Colossians, in fact, what he sees as the end or goal of their congregational life is that they would not only be renewed and born anew in Christ, that the plant would not only spring to new life that has been planted in their midst, but that it would grow to fruition, that it would bear fruit, that it would increase and come to maturity. This is God's aim for the Colossians. It's God's aim for the world. It's God's aim for us here at Obletown Baptist. The gospel comes and is planted like a seed in the midst of a group of people and it begins to bear fruit. Something new happens because of the gospel. Lives are changed, radically changed, as radical as from darkness to light. And a whole new life begins that bears fruit for God's glory. That's really the God-glorifying aim of church life, that the decisive change that takes place within us by the gospel continues and bears fruit to maturity. That the planting of the gospel in people's lives would grow and spread and become a luxurious, vibrant, beautiful green vine. Now, one of the uh, privileges of being visiting speaker in different places is that I, I look out at this congregation and I know, except for about four people I've met in the last three days, I know almost none of you. I don't know where you're up to. I don't know... Whether you've been here for years or you just come here this morning for the first time, and I just want to pause for a second and say, if what I'm talking about is not an experience you're really familiar with, if you don't know really what I mean to have the gospel of Jesus Christ take root in your life, radically change everything about you, see the forgiveness of your sins, see a freedom from what used to enslave you, and the beginning of a new life, living for him and growing in him, if that experience is not your experience, you might be new here this morning or maybe you've been hanging around here for a little while, but honestly, it's just never quite taken root with you and you're not sure why and you're not sure of all the issues. That may be you this morning. And if it is, let me encourage you. There's no better day than today than to try to do something about that. Uh, Come and talk to me or to one of the other pastors at at the door on the way out and say, I'd really like to find out more about this gospel you're speaking about and about the power you're speaking about in Jesus Christ that completely changes life and gives me a fresh start that results in fruit and a new life. If that's you this morning, then please come and talk to us about it and find out about that new life in Christ. But our main point this morning is that the aim of church life is to see this flourishing vine grow within our midst. And the next and important question we need to answer is, how does that happen? How does the vine grow in the midst of this church? In fact, in your own life, how does that vine grow? And as in all sermons, there are three points here to make. And also, as in all sermons, they all start with the same letter. The standards for sermon construction are the same worldwide. You'll be pleased to know that's that's the way it is here. It's the way it is everywhere. Three points, each starting with the same letter. Uh, And they all come out of this passage. The ways, the means by which God causes this amazing growth to take place. And the first one is proclamation of the word of God. It's the speaking or spreading or proclaiming of the word of truth. 
That's how the Colossians first got on board with God's program. That's how the gospel was first planted in them in their souls, through the speaking of the word. And that's how Paul continues his ministry as well, interestingly. If you just go over to verse 28, if you've got your Bibles open, chapter 1, verse 28, Paul describes how his ongoing ministry takes place, and it's the same thing. Him we proclaim. There's a description of, of Christian ministry right there. Christ we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Proclaiming, admonishing, teaching, speaking. The word, uh, the, the vine grows, the church grows, we grow as the word is spoken. It's the absolute bedrock and foundation. This is important to say because I don't know everything about the church scene here in the US, but certainly back in Australia, there are lots of churches who are trying to grow their vine, trying to grow their church in all sorts of ways uh, apart from the word. And perhaps the most popular one in Australia at the moment is music. Um, I love music. I, I play on our church music team. I was kind of eyeing off the bass lines that the guy was doing up there today. I, I love music. This is good. But it's possible to grow a church just with music. And there are some churches in Australia that are essentially a kind of a giant concert. Uh, and they're very popular churches and very big churches. Because you can grow a church that way, with music. But it's not the way to grow a, a vibrant, strong, fruitful vine. That happens as the word of Christ is planted and brings change and growth in the lives of people. So that's the first means. It's the first P. It's P for proclamation, P for preaching, P for the word being spoken as the way that this great cause is achieved. And the second P is prayer. Because the strange thing about the word being spoken is that it can be spoken to a whole bunch of people and it has all sorts of different effects. For some people, it lodges deep within them and produces a whole new vibrant growth. For other people, it just seems to kind of bounce off, um, like their forehead was made of concrete, and, and it just bounces off, like a seed bounces off a path, uh, to, to refer to the parable of Jesus, of course. And what makes the difference? Why is it that the word penetrates and brings growth in some cases and not in others? Well, that's because there's another power at work when the word is spoken. The power of God's own spirit that softens the ground, that softens the soil of our hearts so that the seed takes root and produces growth. And that's why we pray. We pray when we speak the word that God would take that word and lodge it deep within people and produce growth. Because the word won't produce growth unless God does that in people's hearts as we speak. And so the second basic means by which the vine grows is prayer that God's spirit would work. And you see that in this passage as well, of course, because of Paul's extensive prayer for the Colossians. And one of the most wonderful prayers in scripture that they would grow in knowledge. He wants the Spirit to reveal things anew and afresh to them and to make them walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and to bear fruit and, and to be patient and to endure. All these things will only happen, Paul knows, if the Spirit works, if God works within people's hearts. And that's why prayer is the absolutely fundamental second basic means by which the vine grows. And the third basic means or the third mechanism that God uses to grow the vine, it's almost too obvious to say, but the obvious sometimes has to be said. The third P is just people. 
frail, imperfect, sinful, ordinary people just like you and me. It's people who do the speaking. It's people who do the praying that God would work. It's people, God's people, who grow the vine by speaking God's word and by praying that it's effective. Now, God needn't have done it that way, as you well know. He, he could quite easily have spoken in other ways. He could have written his message in the sky. He certainly doesn't need us to do his work. He certainly doesn't need us to pray in order to do what he wishes to do. But in God's purposes, he uses his people to speak and to pray, to proclaim and to pray, in order to see the vine grow, in order to see the word lodge in the hearts of people and bear fruit. He calls us, different and diverse as we are, onto his team. He gives us different diverse gifts and contributions, all contributing to this great task of speaking the word and praying that it would be effective. And this leads to a really important question, perhaps the most important question this morning. If it's people who do this work of proclaiming and praying, which people? Which people exactly? Well, from the passage that we just looked at from Colossians chapter 1, we see at least two people, don't we? We see Paul himself. Paul is writing to them. He's writing the word to them. And he's praying constantly for them. So we know Paul's doing it. And we've got dear old Epaphras as well. One of my favorite New Testament characters, Epaphras, who was a Colossian. He was a local and he spoke the word to them. That's how they heard the gospel. And he keeps praying for them as well. We hear about that later in the letter. Epaphras is a wonderful uh, example in the New Testament. So we've got Paul and Epaphras. So is that the answer? Is it the answer that it's the apostles and kind of evangelists like Epaphras and Paul, they do the speaking and the praying and everybody else is kind of the recipient of that? Well, not so much. Later in the letter to the, in, to the Colossians, in chapter 3, Paul makes it very clear that it's not just him that does the speaking and teaching and admonishing and wisdom, it's also the Colossians. In Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell among you, he's speaking to the congregation, among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness, in your heart to God. As far as Paul is concerned, the people who do the speaking is not just Paul and not just Epaphras, but the whole Colossian congregation. Every leaf on the vine, if you want to put it that way, or every vine worker or gardener in the vineyard is doing something, is speaking and teaching and admonishing in some way, according to our own particular circumstances and opportunities, Speaking in order to see the vine grow as we pray. Is that what you think you're doing when you come to church? Let me ask you. Do you think that's what church is? An opportunity for you to teach and admonish one another, for the word to dwell richly in lots of different conversations around this room? Or is it just a place where you come to hear the word being taught from the front? We'll come back to that question. But what I want to emphasize at this point is that right across the New Testament, this is the pattern. That the people who do the speaking, the proclaiming, and the praying are not just pastors or professionals or apostles or evangelists or preachers. 
but every Christian member of the body, every Christian member of the vine. All across the New Testament, to grow in Christ-like love for others means to grow in our desire and our ability to share the word with others in all sorts of different ways and to pray for them that they would grow to maturity. We're all involved together in the work of the vine. We're all vine workers, if I can put it that way. Each in our own myriad of different ways, trying to find ways to spread and share this powerful word, praying that it would bear fruit. Because remember, these three ways are the ways that God grows the vine. He grows the vine through the proclaiming of the word, the prayerful support of the spirit in making it effective, and through the people of God who do that work. And this is the picture, friends, of a healthy, functioning church. One in which the word is spoken to one another and to those outside in a multitude of ways in prayerful dependence on the spirit. What happens instead in most churches? I don't know this church, so I'm sure this never happens here. But what happens in most churches? In, In a great many churches, what happens instead is that people come to church and are happy to be part of the team happy to contribute to the team in some way, perhaps happy to help pay money for the team, happy to support the team's work, happy to consume and receive what the church puts out, happy to be involved in various ways, but a bit more reluctant to be a player on the team who's actually doing the speaking and praying to other people. And to understand all this better, I'm going to talk about trellises and vines at last. And don't despair... um, I'm getting towards the end of the talk, so it's not that I'm just getting started on trellises and vines. We're getting towards the end. But let me talk a little bit about trellises and vines. You see, the vine grows, we've just established, the vine grows through the three Ps, proclaiming, speaking the word, prayer, and people. That's how the vine grows. But vines need trellises. They need a structure to sit on. They need a framework, a latticework that supports and helps the vine to grow. And a healthy vine always has some kind of appropriately shaped trellis on which it grows. And church life is like this as well. We have all kinds of structures of different kinds that allow the basic vine work to happen and allow the vine work to grow. We've got a gym like this. What an extraordinary building. This is a giant trellis that allows us to come here every Sunday morning and gather. We've got finance that has to happen. We've got committees. I understand Baptists are expert on committees. You've got committees everywhere that do stuff to make sure everything happens. You've got administration. You've got lots of different activities, small groups, intermediate-sized groups, Sunday school. You've got all sorts of structures and activities and things happening. The purpose of all those different activities and structures and apparatus is, is singular. The purpose of all of them is to allow the vine to grow through the three Ps, through the word being spoken prayerfully by and among people. And so the trellises are by no means evil. On the contrary, they're absolutely necessary. But you know what happens in many churches? Trellises take on a life of their own. Trellises take on a life of their own. We have programs and structures and all sorts of things happening that have just always happened and they multiply around the church until, because every church has lots and lots of them, but not all of them are in fact actually helping the vine to grow because the word is not being spoken much in that trellis 
There's not much prayer taking place by and among people. We have programs and structures that have always existed and just have to keep on existing because they always have, even though perhaps people don't even know why anymore. And even perhaps when the original purpose of that trellis no longer supports the growing of the vine as it is now. And of course, the other common problem that many churches experience is that we leave the actual vine work to a very few people and satisfy ourselves with just helping to maintain the trellises. The vine work we leave to the professionals, the trellis work, the work of committees or grounds work or running stuff or doing stuff or volunteering, we'll all jump in and do our piece there. Just don't ask us also to do vine work. But that's not the way God has gifted his people. It's not the means by which he wants to see the vine grow. He wants his whole people to be working on the vine together and also making sure the trellises are maintained and work. He wants us all to be vine workers. It's not just the job of a few or of an elite class of highly trained professionals. Every Christian is a vine worker. And this is the key and important point of this talk. And if you grasp it, it will change the way you think about the Christian life and about church every Sunday. It will change the way you think and behave in every aspect of the congregational life here at Ogletown. And that is this, that to be a Christian is to be a vine worker. To be a Christian is to be a vine worker. This is the radical change that needs to happen in most churches. It's for every Christian to come to understand and embrace the fact that we're not passive recipients or consumers or even just volunteer support staff, that every Christian is a vine worker using our own particular circumstances, opportunities and gifts to share the word somehow, prayerfully praying that God will make it effective in and through the works that we do as people. So I think I know, being a mind reader from so many people, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing something here. I'm sensing that I know what a number of you are thinking at this point. You're thinking, okay, you've mentioned these three Ps that we're all supposed to be part of. To proclaim the word, to pray, and to be the people who do that. And you're saying, that's what it means to be a vine worker. I've got two of them covered. That's what you're thinking. You're thinking, yes, I am a person. I've got that covered. I can pray. I don't pray as much as I should. But I could pray more than I do for the spreading of the vine. I could do that. But the proclamation one, it's that first one, it's the speaking of the word one that I'm a bit nervous about. I'm not sure that's me. That might be one of those trained, mature people, but it's not me. I I couldn't do that. I couldn't stand up there like you are and preach a sermon. In fact, I don't know very much. I don't think that first P is me at all. I want to suggest to you that it is, that it is you. And the reason I believe that you know how to do this and can do this is that you did it earlier in my sermon. I asked you to to turn to the person next to you and to have a chat about Colossians 1 for 30 seconds. Just talk about the passage, talk about the word, what's it saying, what do you think? I think it says this. That's interesting, isn't it? What did you think about that verse? What you did in that 30 seconds, just a little brief taste, it wasn't that hard, was it? What you did in that 30 seconds was you shared the word with another person. You had the word open between you 
and you spoke that word to one another. You encouraged one another. You might have provoked one another or even admonished or rebuked one another or reinforced one another's understanding. Speaking the word to one another can be as simple and yet as effective as that. In fact, just doing that, finding someone to open the word with and talk around it and in it together about what's going on here and what it's saying. This is one of the simplest and most powerful ways to grow the vine wherever you might be, whether that's in your family, with your, with your spouse or with your children, whether it's with your colleague at work, perhaps after work or at lunchtime, with a neighbour, with someone from your small group or someone who you're, you know well at, at college. To simply open the word together and to speak that word to one another, praying that God would use it to bear fruit in our lives, well, that's the most powerful piece of vine work that you can do. Let me encourage you, if there's only one means or method, only one practical outcome you take from this message this morning, it, it's this, that as all of us are Christians and vine workers together, the simplest and most powerful way to do that is to find an opportunity simply to open the word with someone and share what that word is saying with each other. You see, God is doing something quite extraordinary here at Ogletown, as he is all over the world where the vine is growing and spreading. He's planting his word in the midst of people's hearts. And he's seeing it grow to a maturity that is rich and vibrant and beautiful. A maturity of knowledge and of life and of love and of joy. And that happens as every part of the vine works together. As we all, as Christian vine workers, speak the word of Christ to one another and, and to those outside. And pray that God, by his spirit, will bring his wonderful transformation into our lives. Will you pray with me that that will flourish here as we pray it will flourish everywhere around the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word, for how it clarifies for us who we are and what you call us to do. We thank you for the wonderful reminder today of the power of your gospel to change us radically, to transfer us from darkness to light, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to set us free. And the power of your word also to grow us and help us bear fruit for you as we come to know you more and more and live for you more and more. And we thank you too, Father. We thank you so much that you call all us, all of us, as your people into this wonderful work of seeing the gospel spread and take root and grow in people's lives. Father, we confess that we often fall short in this area. We often are reluctant to speak or to pray. We often keep silent when we should speak. And we often lack the love to go to the person around us, the person next to us, and think, what could we say or do for this person to encourage them forward? Please forgive us, Father, for our neglect and our lack of love in this area. And put your love within us, that we might reach out to those people around us with your word and pray by your spirit that it would be effective. And we pray all these things, Father, because of the great name of Jesus. Amen.